Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Hoisty Colors podcast. I am Stephen Igo, the publisher of HoistyColors.net, and it is our post signing day podcast recap as we're going to take a look at the 2022. ECU early signing class, as Mike Houston said yesterday, this will not be the completion of the signing class, and this will not be obviously where they're done because we still got the February signing date, and really with the transfer portal, guys can commit and enroll for the spring without even signing, Uh, so yeah, it's signing day, this is the bulk of the class, but there's still going to be more additions in the days to come. So it kind of makes it hard to really wrap up the class, but we are going to recap the early signing class. 18 players were announced as the signing class yesterday, 15 from the high school and JUCO ranks that signed their letter of intent, three transfers, and we will get into each of those players in the next 30 minutes to an hour. We also got your questions on Twitter that I asked for to recap the class and we'll hit on a lot of these guys but you know the first thing that stands out about this group is the offensive line it's the first thing I asked Mike Houston about on Wednesday at his press conference just the need to continue to upgrade the offensive line that was the focus of this class and it's obvious when you look at the numbers five offensive linemen and really they wanted more four from the high school and prep ranks one from a transfer route in Parker Moore from West Virginia former starting tackle with Mountaineers we talked about him in the last podcast he will play immediately he'll be in in January and he expects to uh, compete for immediate playing time probably might even pencil him in as a projected starter at tackle depending on how things go there Uh, but some of these high school guys very highly recruited and the thing I'll say is this is the most talented offensive line group that I've seen ECU sign since I started covering the beat in 2010 and started working with 24-7 Sports in 2012. I just feel like all these guys have significant upside, have significant talent, and they were all highly recruited. You know, really the only guy who did not have a ton of offers uh, was Amari Allen, who's a local guy, but he came to camp, really showed out, and he might have some of the highest upside in the class. You know, projects as an interior guy, but just a big physical mold of clay who really doesn't even understand, I think, how good he can be. Mainly played a lot of defensive tackle for Vance County, and you watch his quickness and get off off the ball, he's got a chance to be a really good offensive lineman as that translates to the offensive side of the ball. Eli Samples was not super highly recruited, but he's probably the most athletic in terms of feet in the class. You know, a little undersized, 6'3", 280, former tight end, so he's got good feet, projects best as a tackle. And then you got Jacob Sacra, who's the highest recruited offensive lineman, highest ranked offensive lineman ECU's ever signed, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite. For those who are unfamiliar, the composite is the average rating of rivals, 24-7 sports, and ESPN. 
and Sacra is ranked as a mid to high three star. Had several big time offers. Plays for St. Francis Academy, which is one of the premier high school programs in the country. He signs with ECU. He he'll be in in January. Then another guy, Ethan Lang, also from a premier premier program, IMG Academy. And St. Francis actually was the only team to beat IMG this year, which speaks to the level of both teams' talent. But those two guys will be in in January. They potentially have a shot to play early. I think Ethan Lang, who projects best as a center, probably has the best shot to play early. Saker, I think, still needs to come along in some areas. But his long-term potential at 6'5", 315 pounds, is is legitimate. Uh, I mean, it's as he gets a year or two in the program, continues to work on some things, continues to polish some things, and he could honestly play center guard or tackle. He played all those positions in high school. So it'll be interesting to see where he fits in with ECU. But this offensive line group, both for the short term and the long term, really sets up ECU, I think, for a good uh, amount of success at that position. We all know how maligned it has been in terms of criticism, in terms of injuries impacting that position. But that's why really, in my opinion, you have to sign four to five guys at minimum every year just because you're going to lose some guys, you're going to have some misses. And this is a great first step to kind of getting back to uh, or getting the program to where it needs to be up front. Obviously, they did end up missing on Terrence McClain, who, for those who follow recruiting, he's a Juco kid out of Coffeyville, who actually, per my sources, committed to ECU as a silent commitment over the weekend during his uh, final official visit, but then wavered due to several reasons and ended up signing with Memphis yesterday morning, which was a bit of a disappointment. He would have provided some further depth at offensive tackle, and a man that's still out there is Cade Briggs of the New Mexico transfer actually released his top three this morning as we record this on Thursday morning. The New Mexico transfer has a top three of East Carolina, Syracuse, and Texas Tech. And Briggs is similar to Moore in that he's a guy who's a plug-and-play starter from day one. He's got two years of eligibility remaining. He was an all-conference tackle at New Mexico, probably projects best at guard at this level of college football. He could come in and play immediately. He's going to enroll in a school in January. He doesn't know where he's going yet. A little concerning that he took his visit and still isn't quite comfortable enough yet to make that commitment. Uh, he gets the offer from Texas Tech yesterday, and they're immediately in his top three along with Syracuse and ECU. But he can't visit those schools. He can drive down on their own, him and his family, but he can't do an actual recruiting visit because it's a dead period from now until the start of the January semester uh, at most schools across the country. So if he wants to get into school in January, he's going to have to make a decision based off his comfortability with the school without really taking a recruiting visit there if it's Texas Tech or Syracuse. Or he can go with ECU, which he knows he's visited. He's met with the staff in person. He knows the plan for him. He knows the facilities, the campus, all that stuff. So you would think ECU would be in a good spot there. He also told me his family is looking at moving back to the southeast portion of the United States. His mom was born in Raleigh. Uh, to me, I think the legitimate competition here is Texas Tech. I think Syracuse is in the mix, but I think it would be ECU or Texas Tech. We'll see how that transpires. But if you can get Cade Briggs to close out this class, that would be a huge addition. If not, there will be other guys in the portal, but you would be getting a, a probably surefire starter enrolling in January to really – sure up your offensive line along with Parker Moore for next year. So we'll continue to monitor his situation and bring you that news on hoistthecolors.net. Now, continuing to dive into this class, you look at the other side of the line, and yeah, the offensive line was 
clearly addressed, but you look at the defensive front, and I like these guys too. J.D. Lampley, C.J. Mims, two high school defensive linemen who have been committed since the summer. Lampley was one of the first guys that defensive coordinator Blake Harrell offered upon getting the job in early 2020, and it, it was interesting to kind of talk to him throughout the recruiting process and see that relationship grow. You know, South Carolina offered you had some other schools come in like Liberty, Duke, Yale offered. So clearly a smart individual, but just he always seemed like an like a fit for ECU, like just kind of a down to earth, chip on the shoulder mentality. I really think JD Lampley is going to be an awesome fit at ECU. I think fans will fall in love with him when he gets there and starts playing. He's got a extremely high motor, which I know is cliche to say for uh, a man like JD but I, I think he I, I really do you turn on the film and it just never stops he's going 100 miles an hour CJ Mims incredible uh, upside and you can see the upside in watching his game and comparing it to his brother Chandre who also is coming to ECU as a grad transfer from Charleston Southern Chandre is extremely quick not as not as big as CJ despite being what five or six years older at this point He's listed at 276. CJ is listed at six foot, 302 pounds. Uh, but CJ has many of the same traits that his brother has. Very quick off the ball, good feet, you know, pretty long arms, has the ability to separate from opposing offensive linemen. And I, I think you look at these three guys, Chandre, of course, coming in in the mid-year, I think he will be an impact guy. We'll get more into that later as we, we got a question on the type of impact Chandre can make in 2022 i think cj and jd long term you know will end up being a step up above what ecu is playing with now along the interior defensive line i mean you brought in so many young defensive linemen with the 2019 class those guys are still developing but i feel like these guys are even a step above them and that's what you want to do every year you want to recruit better and better talent theoretically you want to recruit guys who can come in and pass your your older guys, although you want your older guys obviously to keep developing and set the culture of the program, but you always want to recruit better and better, better talent each year, and I really feel like this year is a major step up on the offensive and defensive lines in particular. I think the 2020 class was a, an incredible group for the skill positions, some of the talent there, but I think for sure when you look at this 2022 group, the fronts on the offensive and defensive line are as good talent-wise as I've seen ECU recruit. And they're still looking to add there. Uh, and speaking of the fronts, you add another guy in Jamarion Franklin, who I think is criminally underrated. Just was off the radar for a lot of guys. Grew, I think, 30 to 40 pounds in between his sophomore and junior year. Then you had the COVID year, so he didn't really get discovered. Basketball player, raw football player, listed at 6'4", 223. He actually was playing safety for Lake City High School in South Carolina, then grew into an outside linebacker defensive end. And this is the prototype guy that ECU needs off the edge. They just don't have enough of them in the program right now. Long, naturally athletic, good twitch, bend, etc. That makes a good pass rusher. Now, Franklin's not going to be a guy to come in and make an immediate impact, most likely. He needs a couple years. But his upside's significant, and it's probably higher than most of the guys at that position in the program due to his length. And he's another intelligent guy. I mean, all these players that I'm talking about had service academy offers, Ivy League offers. So I know it's cliche to say, hey, ECU is out here, the recruiting guys that fit their culture, etc. But so many of these guys, if you look at their offer list, had significant uh, offers in those realms in terms of you know Army, Air Force, Yale, Harvard, 
And I think that says a lot about the character of these players. But I really like Jamarion Franklin long-term. I think he'll help that room a lot. And so you look at the fronts and you just upgrade so many of those areas. And with the way Big John and this coaching staff can develop guys, can mold young men, as long as this staff stays here long-term, I think this this is a group that really in two to three years will be the foundation uh, by ECU football for the long-term. Moving to the skill positions, of course, more talent there. you got to start with Marlon Gunn, the running back out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. California made a, a very aggressive run at him late. He visited there. I texted him during his visit a little bit, and it, it almost got the vibe that he was just taking the visit just to take it. You know, Louisiana kid, why not go out to Cal to take that visit? But Cal was working hard to try and flip him. To Marlon's credit, he ends up sticking with his original commitment. And so I give him a lot of credit for that. He will be in next summer and compete for playing time at running back. He's the highest rated recruit of the class. Really talented kid, size, speed, vision, all the above. Uh, again, really good, uh, really good character as well. So he kind of fits the mold for uh, for East Carolina. Speaking of character, Nemo Squire, quite possibly the most polished young man I've ever had the pleasure of talking with at the high school level. Even if he comes to ECU and doesn't play a snap, the impact he will make on the program from a character, academic, uh, leadership standpoint will be significant. 5'6", 190, kind of a a bowling ball type running back. Not big at all, but just, man, he he plays with heart. He plays the game the right way. So, And and guys like Nemo, I've I've just seen so many of them excel at East Carolina. you know, it's, it's it's so much about drive, work ethic, mentality, and Nemo has all those things. And whether or not he becomes a significant player at ECU or not, time will tell. But I think he's got all the makings of a guy who can be an overachiever at ECU. Uh, continuing to move along this list, Isaiah Brown-Murray, really solid cornerback. You know, again, a little undersized at 5'9", but he reminds me a lot of Jaquan McMillan and Malik Fleming that he's just a guy who can cover. He's a guy who has great speed good feet, good special teams player. Like Jaquan McMillan and Malik Fleming were the same way in high school. Scored on special teams all the time. You know, just made plays in the secondary. Come from good programs. Isaiah Brown-Murray fits all those categories and as an early enrollee will get a chance to make an impact early and have a chance to compete for playing time and depth uh, behind those guys. Uh, continuing with the secondary, the Pirates also add Siobhan uh, Ravel. Out of Lewisburg College, probably the most athletically gifted guy in the class, or one of them, 4440 yard dash, 11 foot broad jump. I mean, the numbers he posted in camp in the summer were insane. And basically, ECU told him, hey, if, if we're going to give you this offer, we need you to commit on the spot so you don't visit anywhere else and blow up. And he was fine doing that. And so he did that. Uh, still has some academic work to complete, but he's got a ton of upside as well. Long 6'2 corner, so he fits uh, all the measurables. Jordan Huff. Safety out of Hutchinson Community College. Could end up playing corner. Could end up playing safety. Uh, 6'2", 185, another long physical DB. Originally a Georgia Tech signee. So you upgrade the the length, the speed, the talent of the secondary as they continue to add to that position. Receiver-wise, Brock Spalding comes in as one of the more decorated players in terms of stats in this class. Uh, really like Brock, man. I just think he's an absolute gamer. I think him getting in early will really help. He's probably the starting slot receiver of the future beyond Tyler Sneed. Excellent hands, great catch radius, uh, good after the catch. 
He even throws the ball a few times on this high school tape on trick plays. So he honestly, I mean, he if you didn't know better, you would think it was Tyler Sneed. But uh, really high on Brock and another guy that had some significant offers and ended up coming to ECU anyways. Uh, continuing down this list, all right, two of my favorite guys to round out this group. Zakai Barker, linebacker from Norcross, listed at 5'10", 228. This guy is just a football player. And I love guys who just know how to run, hit, tackle. And if he was six foot or six one, he would probably go into any school in America. He, I think he had 150 plus tackles each of the last three years at a strong football program in Norcross. Just, uh, man, he plays against good competition in Georgia. Really good high level football there. Intelligent kid. Again, Harvard, Yale, all these schools on him. He'll be in in January, and I wouldn't be shocked if he's playing as a freshman. You know, We'll see how his game translates to college, but he's already 228 pounds. He's not going to get a whole lot bigger. He's fast. I just think he's going to be a guy who, who can play early at a position of need. Uh, continuing on with another guy that I think is more of a long-term ad, Sam Donka out of Fork Union Military Academy. Special talent here. You don't find guys who are 6'5 and 210 who can run every day. And he's a guy who absolutely fits the mold of a guy who could play basically anywhere on defense because he's going to grow into a special player uh, as long as he sticks with his routine, continues to add weight. He could be 6'5, 245 by the time he's done ADCU playing off the edge. He's got legitimate NFL potential depending on how he develops. And then the Pirates also added a punter. David Chapeau out of Air Force, who's a transfer, did not compete at Air Force, but was a solid punter in high school and has a chance to come in and compete for playing time along with Luke Larson as John Young moves on next year. Chapeau will be a preferred walk-on as he joins the program and looks to compete for playing time. So there's your 18 signees for the 2022 class, the early signing class, and Really a solid group. Again, a lot of needs addressed and I think a good foundation for the future of the program. All right, let's dive into your questions on Twitter. We got a lot of them and uh, we'll get to them here on the other side. You're listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, back on the Hoist of Colors podcast. Let's dive into the comments and the reactions on Twitter. I said uh, questions, concerns, thoughts, what you got. So we got a range of comments here. Some just comments, some questions, some facetious comments. And so we'll get to them. And we'll start with one of those uh, hilarious comments from NC State reporter Corey Smith. He works over at Pac Pride. 
I know a lot of you guys don't like NC State, but Corey's honestly a, a good dude. He says, how did y'all find Nemo? I'll hang up and listen. Uh, so Corey's obviously referencing uh, the edition of Nemo Squire and the movie Finding Nemo. Well done, Corey. The most amazing thing about this is, and I didn't realize this till yesterday, but ECU signed two running backs. One of them's name is Nemo. The other one's name is Marlon. And for those who are familiar with the movie, Nemo's dad is Marlon in the movie. I mean, what are the honest odds of that? They got to be like one in a million. Now, Marlon Gunn spells his name uh, M-A-R-L-O-N, and the movie is the name spelled M-A-R-L-I-N. So slightly different, but still the same pronunciation for the most part. The same name. What are the odds, guys? So uh, I'm I'm already thinking of all the the wordplay and the uh, the gifs and everything we can. Is it gifs or gifs? Has anybody ever has anybody ever finalized that? Either way, whatever. Uh, all of the fun we can have with that if those two guys end up staying in the program and having success. Um, so yeah, ECU found Nemo. Credit to Chris Foster. Credit to Mike Houston for that as the Pirates signed. Nemo Squire. All right, moving on with your questions. Pirate 89 says, what is your opinion of how recruits are rated and how accurate has it been for ECU over the years? For instance, I recall Scotty Montgomery getting relatively high marks for some of his classes. We see how that turned out. You know, I work for a recruiting service company, so like we have guys that work their tails off in this industry and that give fair evaluations but I, I, th- I think there's a strong level of Power 5 bias in recruiting rankings for every industry. I mean, I see it. I saw it with Caleb Webb. All right, Caleb Webb's a guy, comes to camp, just has all the makings of a incredible receiver. And ECU offers him, he commits, and he gets a three-star rating of 80, which is the lowest possible on the 24-7 sports composite, he got an 80. Uh, 24-7 sports did actually give him a, a mid, mid-80s mid grade. But basically, he was the lowest-rated kid in the class in the summer when the majority of the guys first committed. So, same player, just undiscovered, underrated, based on his offer list. Now, as he starts getting more offers and gets more attention, all of a sudden, his rating starts to get bumped. Well, he's the same player. He's just getting discovered more. And granted, he did improve. He didn't play a ton his junior year because he played more DB. But he got a ton of receiver action as a senior. He goes and has a phenomenal opening game in the Atlanta Falcons Stadium where every scout is in attendance and they see him and then he blows up, et cetera, et cetera. By the end of his recruiting process, he's gone from a three-star, low three-star, to a four-star. Again, same player. A lot of this was just based off attention notoriety. Um, and so I've just seen that happen so many times over the year. Jakari Caldwell, same deal. For the, you know, committed to ECU a couple years ago in the 2020 class. Was a was a low to mid three-star. Blows up late before signing day. South Carolina, Baylor, they all offer. All of a sudden, Jakari Caldwell is a four-star right before he flips from ECU to South Carolina. Caleb Webb's a four-star right before he flips from ECU to Tennessee. I mean, it's pretty obvious, guys, what, what's happening here. And, I mean, I, I really do believe that the rankings or the commitments for some of the Power 5 schools do get inflated 
just because, hey, well, if he's going to Tennessee, he can't be a low three-star. I mean, that's not possible. So we have to make him a high three or a four-star. Yet if he's going to ECU and he's a low three and he doesn't have many offers, well, that's fine because, you know, we can just assume that he's a low three-star if he's going to ECU. So, you know, I look at some of these guys on this commitment list for ECU, like I feel like a Sam Donka, if he would have got discovered more. Uh, or Amari Allen, if he didn't shut down his recruitment so early. Zakai Barker, absolute football player. J.D. Lampley, if he if you know if he commits to Duke over ECU, he's probably got a higher rating. Just being quite honest. So like I feel like there is an extreme bias towards the Power Five in these recruiting rankings, which is whatever. Uh, it's part of it. Um, you know Marlon Gunn. He was dropped a little bit, as was Jacob Sacra after they committed to ECU. They were actually ranked higher, so I think Gunn was a four-star on Rivals. Now he's a three-star, so there's a there's a bias. And, you know, I do, there are a couple guys who I feel like, you know, Andrew Evans, who covers Florida and uh, Georgia and South Carolina for us, uh, Florida and Georgia particularly, I, I feel like he had a very good and fair evaluation of Caleb Webb before he even started to get better offers. So, like, I, to me, I respect a recruiting analyst like that more so than a guy who just bumps up a recruit because he's about to flip to a Tennessee or he's about to get – or he's gotten a bunch of offers. Because the player is the same, just because he's getting more offers does not necessarily mean he's better. So, you know, somebody who covers a, a school that gets overlooked a lot in the recruiting process, that's a little frustrating, but it's part of it. So to answer your question, you know, we referenced the, the ratings, we referenced the rankings, all that stuff. I think it I think it matters more for the the bigger schools that are going after like top ten, top twenty classes because those guys, I mean that you know, the five stars, the four stars, they've been seen, they've been evaluated tenfold. You know, they're pretty much gonna be what their their rating is for the most part. I mean, they have elite athletic traits. It's obvious to anybody who sees them. You know, for a school like ECU, it's more about getting, hey, this guy, maybe he didn't play football to his junior year of high school, or maybe he grew 40 pounds from his junior to senior year. He's raw, but how can we develop him? And in two years, that guy could be as good as a four-star, just based off development and how he comes into the program and how he works. So, you know, it's it's nice to be able to reference ECU landed a three-star or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's more about projection, development, and player retainment if you're at a school like East Carolina, which is, can be a boring answer, but it's also the truthful answer. All right, moving on. Preston wants to know, go over your thoughts on what players that did not sign and why. Also share your thoughts on the signees and misses on the O-line. Well, I kind of touched on the O-line earlier. You know, the big one is Cade Briggs that we're still waiting on. Terrence McLean would have kind of helped further solidify the group, but I still think it's an incredibly offensive, good offensive line haul. We have to remember you're still signing five offensive linemen. You're still getting a starter from the from the Big 12 to step in and play right away. You're getting the highest rated offensive line recruit. We just talked about the ratings, what they mean. You know, that can be debated who's going to be the best offensive line, but you're getting him. You're getting three other quality high school offensive linemen. You're getting four guys that ECU saw in, you know, up close and in person and coach Shankler worked the majority of them out so you know what you're getting on the offensive front and if coach Shank likes him I like him and so I think you have to like that uh thoughts on the players that did not sign you know Terrence McLean 
I don't know if he just didn't know how to handle the situation or what, but it sounds like he he kind of played ECU a little bit. Uh, Terry Moore from Washington. ECU tried to flip Terry Moore multiple times. You know, they had him in for a visit early in the season. Uh, Coach Houston did a uh, in-home visit or in-person visit late in the process. He ended up sticking with Duke. To me, it sounds like a situation where the family really values the academics and really, I think, just kind of wants to say their son's going to Duke and not going to ECU. So, you know, he might end up having a great career there, but they didn't even have a coach at the time when ECU was trying to flip him, and he he stayed firm to the school. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to be mad at a kid for sticking with his original commitment. It is what it is. But you don't blame ECU for trying to flip a local 252 talent either. And they tried. It just didn't work out. Um, Caleb Webb. I really thought for a while that he was going to stick with his original commitment, but the the more his recruiting process went on, Tennessee, I don't know what they said to him, but they sold him a lot, and he ended up flipping there. And, you know, that that's just one. He just blew up a little too much. ECU did everything it could to try and keep Caleb Webb, but just at the end of the day it was a little too much to fend off. So uh, those are really the, the main guys that stick out as not signing. You had some other targets, of course, Eric Gilliard goes to Kansas, the UCF transfer, which another one that a week ago I felt really good about. And for whatever reason, I think Kansas did an in-home visit last week and really seemed to change his mind on something. Uh, I felt like he wanted to come to ECU, but he, he, he thought his best chance to absolutely play immediately was Kansas. And he entered the portal to play. And I think that, at the end of the day, made the difference for why he went to Kansas and not came to ECU. Um, but that one hurt a little bit because I feel like ECU thought it was in good shape there. So those are some of the guys that ECU was after and that ended up going elsewhere. If I'm leaving somebody out, forgive me. Uh, continuing on, Destry wants to know, are you optimistic ECU will still get one to two more offensive linemen capable of competing for starting spots from a JUCO or the transfer portal? How about an edge pass rusher? Well, ideally ECU finds a way to sign Cade Briggs, the New Mexico transfer, and Miles Jackson, the UCLA transfer. Both those guys were in for official visits just before the dead period. Both those guys, though, are waiting. Uh, I feel like the longer they wait before they make a position, uh, a decision, the less chance they end up signing with ECU. But, you you know, you just never know with some of these guys. Both those guys would be ideal fits for each of those needs. But there's going to be a lot more people in the portal between now and May there's going to be another wave after the bowl game. There's going to be another wave after spring practice. You know, the ideal thing about getting Briggs and Jackson is they would be in for January. So then you have them in spring ball, which gives them a better chance to acclimate, gives them a better chance to play early. So that would be ideal, but there's going to be other opportunities. I mean, ECU added Rob Vanderlin last year. He was a guy who had never played at Oregon State. He came in and played after getting in the summer. Avery Jones. Never played at North Carolina, came in and played. Justin Chase never played at NC State, came in and played. So I think Coach Shankweiler is a good enough coach that, that he can identify somebody in the portal and uh, find a way to get some help. So I am pretty optimistic that that will eventually happen, and I think they'll eventually add an edge rusher. It's just a matter of who's the right fit. JP wants to know, how tired are you, Steven, between the baby and Sonny Day? I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm extremely tired, but... I'm uh, I'm happy, man. I'm I'm recovering a winning football program. There's a ton going on. This is the first time I've ever had to cover signing day 
and prepare for a bowl game at the same time because when signing day was implemented in December, since then, ECU has not been to a bowl game, folks. So this is a little bit new for, for all of us, uh, getting used to that. Luckily, this hiatus in the basketball schedule did fall at a good time to where I could really focus on the final push to signing day. We start up basketball again on Friday against Liberty, which uh, is a big game, by the way. But, um, yeah, I'm tired, but I'm also happy because ECU signed a good class. You know, we've been running a bunch of specials on Hoist of Colors. The interaction has been great with you guys. So uh, I'm tired but happy. And, uh, hey, if you're working hard, you're always going to be a little bit tired. But I love what I do and uh, love the interaction from you guys. Uh, Austin Voss wants to know, with the big news of bringing Mims from Charleston Southern, what is the real likelihood of him being an impact player? Is he more of a rotational guy that provides depth or someone that is a likely starter? I think that him getting in in January is going to be crucial because I think he's got a chance to be a starter. Um, you know, he projects best as a probably a three-tech defensive tackle in ECU's scheme. That's a position that Rick DeBrew plays. You know, DeBrew did not have the best year after a pretty dominant uh, 2020 season. He, he started to end last year, didn't play great. Moved back inside, played better. I think whether he starts or comes off the bench, he's going to be be a significant part of the rotation. Mims is, and you know he he played 670 snaps. I want to say at Charleston Southern this past season in 10 games, which is a ton of snaps for a defensive lineman. And he's he found a way to grade out as their best pass rushing defensive lineman. Uh, his pass rush grade for a defensive lineman would have been the best on ECU's team. You have to remember now he was going against FCS talent, but he still played pretty good against FBS talent. And so I think he'll come in, he'll play, he'll make an impact, he'll be a leader, he'll be an experienced guy and still a pretty young position room. But you got Elijah Morris coming back. You got um, you got DeBrew coming back. MacGyver, Deontay Johnson, JV McCray, Jason Shuford, uh, McKinney. I'm sure I'm leaving out somebody. I think he, he'll be an upgrade over some of those guys, uh, but he'll he'll also just be a part of the rotation at the end of the day because ECU rotates, you know, six to seven defensive linemen a game. So, But he had 43 pressures last year, uh, eight sacks, 16 and a half tackles for loss, so really good numbers. I think he'll definitely play, and I think he'll be a just another, another piece to a really good defense uh, coming back next year. Brooks Hill, he wants to know, what do you foresee on the recruiting board between now and the next signing day? additions subtractions uh subtractions i expect a number of guys honestly to enter the portal after the bowl game and you know we haven't i don't want to get into those individual names yet but i think if you look at the roster and you look at the depth chart guys who have been here three four years and just haven't progressed they're you know they're going to be told to to play elsewhere and i think he's is going to try to find them a, a home elsewhere uh what do you foresee on the recruiting board between now and the next time of the day? i think you know, I asked Mike Houston, what are the needs? He said offensive line, older receiver, and the right defensive player. So to me, you want a player like Briggs, whether it's him or not. You want an older offensive lineman that can come in and compete. You want a guy like Miles Jackson who either is going to help you off the edge as a pass rusher or a guy like Gilliard who's going to be an immediate starter at linebacker, you know, and then also receiver, you got CJ Johnson, Tyler Sneed projected to come back, but you really need another frontline guy to kind of take your offense to the next level. And they're really honing in on not just a, a guy who can come in is talented. They want a guy who can come in day one and be a starter. So um, I think those are the three big needs. And, and then 
you know, if you can add an, an intriguing player elsewhere, you might do it. But the, the space is pretty limited. So those are the three big real needs. And I think you'll see some guys who are subtracted from the program due to the portal and just the, the roster crunch. Chris Melvin says, how does the ECU class compare to classes from the other AAC teams? Right now, 24-7 Sports ranks it the fifth best class in the American, the 75th best class uh, nationally. Um, If you look at the American team rankings, ECU's got 15 commitments. Cincinnati's got 20. UCF, 16. Houston, 15. Memphis, 17. So ECU's right around that median. Uh, It, you know... It's interesting because, like, a USF only has 10 high school and JUCO commits, but then they have a ton of transfer commitments. And so 24-7 Sports just recently released its uh, transfer team total rankings, which is still being kind of finalized, all that stuff. And, and, you know, like a USF would be ahead of ECU in those when you count the transfers. They've got 11 transfers committed and some pretty highly touted guys. But at the same time, you know, they're basically trying to – build their program through the transfer portal whereas you have an ECU that's trying to supplement their program that's already built their roster that's already built with guys from the portal and so it's hard to compare um, but I think you're going to see a Temple take a bunch of transfers you're going to see SMU take a good amount of transfers maybe Tulane as well ECU I think is in a pretty good spot to where they're, they're able to continue to take a number of high school kids build the program that way you see most of the better teams in this league not loading up on the transfer portal already, whereas the the ones towards the bottom are trying to get that quick fix. So, you know, it's around the middle of the pack, towards the top of the middle of the pack right now, you know, behind Cincinnati, UCF, Memphis, um, and so, and Houston. So I think it's a solid class, and I think, I honestly think a number of these guys are underrated, so I, I just really feel like it's a great class for ECU. And I think... It's not as good as Cincinnati's, realistically. It's probably not as good as UCF's, but uh, it's a very good class. And I, I do feel like a number of these guys have a, a ton of long-term upside. Uh, KJ asked, do you see a QB transfer in the making and any extremely fast wide receivers as a possibility? QB transfer probably won't happen, at least incoming. You might see somebody leave at some point, but you got five scholarship quarterbacks projected to return. Four of those are underclassmen. Uh, I think they recruit a quarterback for next year, uh, not this year, in terms of this year's class. Uh, any extremely fast wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, if you get a number one guy in the portal that's fast, I think that's somebody you want to take. Uh, but they're just looking for the best possible number one receiver. You got a fast receiver on the roster that they don't use enough, or, or for whatever reason haven't utilized a ton of Josiah Hatfield. So you have some speed coming back at receiver. Obviously, if you can add more, uh, that would be a, a ideal fit. So uh, I think that that is a need, but they just want the best possible receiver that can come in and play right away, whether that's speed, size, combination of both, we'll see. Uh, Mark Griffin says, I thought it was a good sign and day stacking the house. Yeah, I agree. Most importantly, they continue to build the trenches, which is uh, which is crucial. Uh, Tim says, how many scholarships did they save for February portal guys? So it's a very, you know, it's a number that's always in flux. But I've heard they they are going to end up saving around seven spots or so um, to take advantage of for later dates. Whether they use all those spots, I don't know, because 
you can't you know you can't go past the 85 so a lot depends on how many guys exit the program uh right now they're projected to be over the 85 so you'll see some guys exit they're still looking for some last minute additions and then they could technically sign up to 32 due to the transfer rule because you the ncaa instituted that if you have seven guys leave via the portal you can supplement or, or replace them with seven guys above the original 25 counter rule so that would give you 32. Now, I'm getting way into the weeds here. But either way, I've heard probably about a handful more guys are expected to sign, if that makes it easy. Uh, Todd asks, will any of the 2022 recruiting class not qualify based on academics? Good question. As far as I know, you know, talking to Siobhan Ravel, the Lewisburg College um, transfer, he still has some work to do to qualify in the spring. Uh, that's why he's not enrolling early. So he's got to get that work done. Beyond that, I expect most of these guys to have little problem uh, getting into school. Most of them are early enrollees. So uh, Ravel is the one to watch. If I hear of anybody else, I'll let you know. But I know that uh, you know he's kind of the one that still needs to get some work done. All right, our final question, it looks like. Let me make sure I'm not missing here. Missing in here. All right, Tarboro Bill says, who's signing next year? What about 2024? Come on, man. Get going. Man, uh, I'm just trying to figure out who's, who's, who else is enrolling in January. Is anybody else signing in February? The 2023 class, I am excited about the 2023 class because it's all about the Purple Haze. If you've seen the 2023 hashtag Purple Haze graphic, by the ECU football team is quite possibly the best recruiting graphic I've seen put together. Hashtag Purple Haze with um, with the with the Z and the E at the end being a 23, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so I think, and with the momentum of this year's winning team, I think you're going to see that impact the 2023 class. You know, you come off a winning season, a bowl game, etc. You're going to see that impact the 2023 class more than the 2022 class. So uh, I think 2023 has the potential to be ECU's best class under Mike Houston. So really looking forward to that. But otherwise, I have no idea, man. I don't even know who's going to sign. I didn't even know who's going to sign Wednesday half the time. And I've been covering the recruiting all year long. So this is going to be impossible to project. So I'm not even going to try to. Uh, as we get more into January, February, I'll start diving into 2023. 2024 too far away but all right i get it tarper bill you're being funny but that'll do it for our show guys again really successful class for coach houston and the pirates shout out to all the uh the coaches and the support staff to put in all the work um you know we obviously do a great job putting in a ton of work covering it but the coaches and player and the support staff it's just a non-stop grind and the players who host the, the recruits so uh, shout out to them for putting together a strong class, and the class will continue to grow, hopefully in the coming weeks as well. All right, we'll be back with you perhaps sometime this weekend, early next week, as we dive more into the Boston College Bowl game. Less than two weeks until that bowl game is here, so we got to start cranking up our coverage for that. Also, we're going to talk some basketball coming off the Liberty game as ECU gets closer to conference play as well. But I appreciate you guys listening, and we'll be back with you next time on the Hoisted Colors Podcast.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.